This is KMTT and the weekly Pashat HaShavua Shirat. This year, Tavshin Ayin, it will be given by Harav Chanoch Vaxman. This week, Pashat Vayigash, I would like to discuss the Neun, the address, the speech of Yosef. Normally, in discussing Pashat Vayigash, uh, we often analyze the beginning of Prashat Vayigash, the approach of Yehuda, uh, the Um of Yehuda, the speech of Yehuda. This week I would like to look at perhaps something we look at a bit less, the response of Yosef, what happens after Yosef reveals himself to his brothers. Picking it up in Perak Memhei, Pasuk Gimel, the Torah tells us as follows. Vayom Yosef el Elachav, Yosef said to his brothers, Ani Yosef, I am Yosef, Ha'od Avichai, does my father live? And his brothers could not answer him because they were they were shocked. And then Yosef begins to speak. And Yosef said to his brothers, Geshuna Eli, come close to me. And they came close. I am Yosef, your brother, you sold to Mitzrayim. And then Yosef goes on in his speech and continues on to make a very interesting central claim, which he repeats over and over. In Perak Memhei, Pasuk Hei, the Torah tells us that Yosef spoke as follows. Do not be saddened, and do not let it be bad in your eyes, or horrible in your eyes, that you sold me here. Because it was for sustenance that God sent me in front of you. And Yosef goes on to explain, only two years of famine have passed, another five years are left to go without any normal agricultural productivity. And then in Pasuk Zion, Yosef uses the exact same two words that he has used previously. The exact same three words. God sent me in front of you. For what purpose? To establish for you a remnant in the land and to keep you alive a, a great number and then again in Pasuk Yosef says it one more time it wasn't you who sent me it was God who sent me so three times in the course of his speech Yosef talks about this idea of Shiluchin of Elohim that God has sent him in front of them and what's the idea? To provide sustenance uh, for the brothers, for the family, to keep them alive. And then Yosef goes on to supply the missing piece of his storyline that he presents to the brothers. And for this purpose, God placed me as a father to Paro, a master of his household, and a ruler of Eretz Mitzrayim, all of the land of Egypt. And then Yosef commands his brothers to go up and uh, tell their father the story, to bring them down. And Yosef concludes his speech in Pasuk Yud Aleph, and I will provide you with food. I will uh, help you to survive. Uh, there's yet another five years of famine, lest you perish. So if we think about it, the central story that Yosef presents to his brothers in the Neum, in his address, is this idea of, It is not you who sent me or sold me, 
But rather, it was God. This was all God's work, all God's doing. Shalachani Elokim. And Yosef says it three times. And what's the purpose, the reason um, why God sent him? God sent him, well, in order uh, to be in charge of the food of Mitzrayim, um, in order to be in charge of the lechem of Mitzrayim, in order to be a master of Egypt, so that when his brothers arrived, he could then provide them with food, and uh, he could provide for his family during the course of the famine. And um, the means of this is, of course, the fact that Yosef is the Mishnah Melech, he is in charge of agriculture in Mitzrayim, he is in charge of lechem Mitzrayim, etc. So this is uh, the idea. That God sent him, Lemechiah, for the purpose of providing sustenance, and God has made him into an Av, an Adon, and a Moshe, and all of Mitzrayim, for this express purpose, and therefore the brothers need not have any worry. This is Yosef's speech. Now, an interesting question, which I would like to examine, is regarding the central claim uh, that Yosef makes here. Sheshachurotolokim, that it was God who sent him. Um, that it was for the purpose of providing sustenance for his family that everything had happened, his rise to master in Egypt was for this purpose and this purpose alone. The question is, to what extent does Yosef truly believe this? Or perhaps maybe this is something that he just says to his brothers at this moment, something that has just kind of dawned upon him at this instant. Let me kind of explain what I mean by this question, elaborate a bit upon this and um, formulate the two possibilities I would like to try to develop in the Shi'ur. Um, let us go back for the moment to Pasuk Gimel, Hey Pasuk Gimel, where I began. Um, after Yosef screams out that everybody be removed from the room, after Yosef opens with Bechi with a kind of strangled cry and reveals himself, the Torah again tells us in Paragon, Hey Pasuk Gimel, does my father live? His brothers could not answer him. Rashi and others say that Nivhalu here, they are silent, um, they are astounded, and their primary emotion is busha, is shame, because they remember the Mechira. Uh, they remember the fact that they sold their brother into slavery in Egypt. And if this is Yosef standing in front of them, they are embarrassed in front of him that they have done this to him. However, quite possibly, this is not the pshat of what Nivhalu here means. Uh, perhaps the proper state of mind or emotion is not so much shame, but rather shock. Uh, or even better, perhaps fear. The brothers are truly afraid. Because from their perspective, this is the Egyptian vizier. Uh, the one in charge of everything in Egypt, who has put them through the ringer quite recently, the one who has threatened to turn them all into slaves, to kill Benjamin, or at least turn one of them into slaves, as the case may be, and this is a person they have been afraid of, and if it's Yosef who they sold into slavery, ever more the reason to be afraid of him. And of course, they retreat in shock, in fear, in shame. Look what happens. Yosef said to his brothers, Gishuna Elai, come close to me. Gishuna, physically come close, but of course emotionally come close. Don't retreat. The Gishu here harks back to the Vayigash of Yudah, the coming close of Yudah, but in a different sense. Or it even harks back to the intimate touch of Yitzchak and Yaakov in the scene of the Brachot back in Parakav Zion. Gishuna Come close and I will touch you, Yitzchak says to Yaakov, who thinks it's Esav. Vayigashu, the brothers came close, 
And now Yosef speaks to them to attempt to console them, to further bring them in, to achieve reconciliation with them, because this is what he wants. I'm Yosef, your brother, you sold to Egypt. Do not be sad. Don't let it be horrible or tragic in your eyes that you sold me. If we look at the context here, um, when Yosef launches into this speech about it all being the divine plan for the purpose of providing sustenance and the triple emphasis of the fact that God has sent him, this is when the brothers have retreated out of shock, out of shame, out of fear. And Yosef tries to draw them in. And he tells them not to be sad. He tells them not to be upset, not to feel guilty. It was not their fault. And quite possibly, we can imagine, that this is something Yosef says on the spot in order to console his brothers as a kind of tanchumin, as an attempt to achieve reconciliation as part of the process of pius, something that sounds good, that can allow the brothers to put their shame aside and to reconcile with him as he so wishes. And this is a possibility, I think, that emerges from the text. Let us strengthen this a little bit by taking a, uh, a look at a parallel scene later on in Parshat Vayichi in Perak Nun, after Yaakov has died. Um, and as we well should remember, or will discover in next week's Parsha, after Yaakov's death, the brothers send messengers to Yosef. This is a very strange and interesting message. The message is as follows in Perak Nun, Pasuk Yud Zayin. Yosef, they claim that Yaakov had told them the brothers, to say to Yosef, uh, Please carry or bear the iniquity of your brothers in their sin. Um, please carry or bear or forgive the sin of the servants of your father. So the brothers concoct the story that Yaakov had told them to tell Yosef um, to forgive the brothers. Um i.e., the brothers expect Yosef will extract vengeance. And what happens in Paragnon Pasigudzain, Bayev Yosef Bedabrami Lav Yosef cried. And then, when there was no response to their messengers, the brothers went, the brothers fell in front of him, the brothers um, offer themselves up as Avadim, so to speak, after 17 years of life together in Egypt have elapsed until the death of Egypt, the brothers are still back where they were, psychologically and existentially, before the mask of the Egyptian vizier cracked and Yosef was revealed as their brother. They offer themselves as slaves, just as they had done previously. The same as they offered themselves as slaves to the Egyptian, now they offer them as slaves to Yosef, because the Egyptian, Yosef, they're all the same. This is not really their brother. Pasuk Yutet, Vayomar Alem Yosef, Yosef said to them, Al Tira'u, do not be afraid. Am I in place of God? You may have intended evil for me. God thought it for good. Um, so that will be as it is this day to keep alive a great people. Again, do not be afraid. Yosef said to his brothers, Yosef said, don't worry, don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid twice. I will support you and your children. And he attempted to console them. What we can say is that without a shadow of a doubt, the Naum of Yosef in Perak Mameh, where Yosef tells this story 
um, about God's plan, about him rising to prominence in Egypt for the sole purpose of providing sustenance for his brothers. And the brothers have no need to worry. Even 17 years later, or yet 17 years later, the brothers have not truly internalized this. The brothers do not truly believe it. Maybe he said it to comfort them temporarily. Maybe he said it to achieve reconciliation in the short term. But now that Yaakov is dead, there's no possible way he could have meant this. And if the brothers themselves in this parallel scene later on in Perak Nun, in Parashat Vayichi, have a certain skepticism about how truly Yosef feels and believes this story about the divine plan, perhaps we too may raise the question in Perak Memhei, when Yosef cracks and Yosef reveals himself and comes up with the story of, oh, it was all the divine plan, Maybe here too, it's just about Tanchumin, consolation. It's just about reconciliation. And it's not necessarily something that Yosef fully believes at this point, at least not yet, and that is one possible reading. Or, and here for the central question of the Shior, absolutely not. Or no, perhaps the opposite. That in some sense, this understanding of being the Sar HaLechem, of being the officer of bread, of being the Moshel of Mitzrayim, the ruler, the second in Paro's house, um, being in Egypt for the express purpose of eventually supporting his family, brothers and relatives there. This is really what Yosef believes about his destiny, about himself. This is the divine plan for him. And Elohim Shalachani and Yosef means it with every fiber of his being. And this is the question I'd like to examine. To what extent are these statements just Tanchumin, attempted consolation and reconciliation with his brothers, or no, this is a declaration of Yosef's inner sense of destiny here in his speech in Perak Memhe. Now, as I've raised two possibilities in the segment of question here, I have already hinted that I think there may be two ways to read this story. Um, to read uh, the central declaration of Yosef's Neum, Elohim Shalachani, that God has sent me. And I would like to think of one as uh, something that needs to be said, the Ikvot Ramban, in light of Ramban, or in light of the general thrust of Ramban's parshanut uh, of the story of Yosef and his brothers. Um, and the other possibility, uh, which I'll map out a little bit later, as I believe something hinted at by our Barbanel, and something which is strongly um, um, supported by Pshutash al Mikra in a certain sense. Let us begin with... Uh, a comment of Ramban in a completely different place, not here in Perak Memhe, um, but back in Perak Membet, a famous and well-known comment of Ramban, which is kind of a central piece in how he understands the entire story of Yosef and his brothers. In, pardon me, Perak Membet Pasuk Tet. Perak Membet Pasuk Tet says as follows. Um, when Yosef's brothers appear in front of him uh, in Egypt for the first time for the purpose of purchasing sustenance, uh, the Torah, and they bow down. The Torah tells us that Yosef recognized his brothers. They did not recognize him. And then Membet tells us as follows. Yosef remembers the dreams. Remember the dreams. That he dreamed to them, etc. And then immediately he proceeds with his accusations. And there is a famous and well-known controversy between the Parshanim as to how to interpret Yosef et hachalamot. And Yosef remembered the dreams. What does this mean that he remembered the dreams? Now Rashi tells us that he remembered the dreams, he saw his brothers bowing down, he realized the dreams had been accomplished. Um, the brothers had bowed down, the dreams had been accomplished, and from this point on, Yosef's dreams are, are shelved. 
everything that happens in the story after this point has nothing to do with Yosef's original dreams of the Alamim, of the bundles, of the Shemesh, the Yireach, and the Kochabim, the sun, the moon, and the stars. The dreams are now a chapter that has been closed. This is Rashi. However, famously, Rabban disagrees and says exactly the opposite. After citing Rashi, Ramban says in Perak Mevet Pasuktet as follows, In my opinion, the matter is exactly the opposite. And why? Ramban goes on to explain, because Yosef sees that there are only ten brothers bowing down to him. And of course, the first dream included all of the brothers, Anachnu, all of us. There should be eleven brothers bowing down to him. And certainly the second dream, there's no hint in the brothers bowing down in Egypt to the second dream. So Ramban concludes, Since he did not see Binyamin with them this first time in Egypt, he thought of this plan. He would trick them or plot against them so that they would also bring Binyamin, his brother, to him to accomplish the first dream first. Now Ramban makes the claim that Yosef's remembrance of the dreams means that Yosef wants to see the dreams come true. Yosef is motivated by the dreams and his trick and his plan and his plot and his accusations are all for the express purpose of bringing Binyamin to Mitzrayim to accomplish the first dream, Tchila, first. And the hint here is, is that after the first dream, which is accomplished the second time the brothers come to Egypt with Binyamin and bow down, the implication being is that at some point the second dream of the sun and the moon and the stars has to come true, according to Ramban. And in fact, Ramban says explicitly, And Yosef then began to work on accomplishment of the second dream. And the point of Ramban is that the whole trick of bringing the brothers back to Egypt yet a third time, the trick with the gviya of placement of the cup in the bag of Binyamin, is part of some plan to eventually accomplish the second dream, the sun, the moon, and the stars, which is the eleven brothers, apparently, plus the sun and the moon. Yaakov, one of the mothers, as the case may be. But somehow Yosef has some big plan going on. And Ramban says that, in fact, Yosef is working on this plan until the beginning of Perak Vemhe, Pasuk Aleph, um, when we're told, Yosef, Yosef can no longer restrain himself for the cry, from the cries of mercy, due to the cries of mercy uh, that were arousing from the crowd around him. He couldn't hold back anymore. Yudah had gotten to him. Yudah had penetrated the surface. And the Bakashat Rachamim, the story of the sad brother and the sad father, and the tragedy has aroused Joseph's Rachamim, he can no longer restrain himself, and he cracks. According to Ramban, at this point, Yosef can no longer work to accomplish his dreams. Meaning, his motivation all along is the dreams and nothing but the dreams. Here he cracks, and if so, by logic, we may say that all his talk about um, God sent me to provide sustenance. I became the master in order to help you guys. And it's not your fault that you sold me. And all of this and all this talk of the Naum is maybe no more than just Tanchumin Pius, reconciliation with his brothers. Because that's not really part of Yosef's interpretation of what his life is about. According to Ramban, his interpretation is, at least at this point still, about those original dreams of rulership over his brothers. And if so, it's not at all clear what is going on here, and maybe the answer is it's just pius, just reconciliation, just 
mercy, just tanhumin, just consolation to his brothers, and really no more than that. And this is certainly one approach. On a certain plane, then, um, we may say that the real hero of the story in this way of interpretation is Yehuda. Yehuda manages to arouse Yosef's rachamim upon his father and brother, who causes Yosef to abandon his dreams, to come up with this new story, uh, the story of God's plan, which in the end of the day, ironically, turns out to be true, but it is really not, in this, at least at this point, a central part of Yosef's character, and this is one approach. However, I would like to suggest the opposite approach, um, based upon uh, a literary parallel pointed out by Abarbanel, and something interesting I heard uh, from a friend of mine, Rav Aviyah Kohen, uh, another resident of uh, Alon Shvut. And uh, Rav Aviyah has pointed out and uh, made it quite well known that the overall story of Yosef and his brothers has what we call in literary language a chiastic structure. Now, what we mean by that is a kind of certain formal structure which goes in the form of A, B, C, C, B, A. Event one happens, event two happens, event three happens, and then the events reverse themselves. Three, two, one. And if on some level we think about it, that is true of the story of Yosef and his brothers. We may think as follows. Um, event A. Uh, Yosef lives 17 years with his father um, in his father's house. Uh, event B. Uh, eventually Yosef becomes uh, the Mishnah Lamela, the second in command, in charge of the house of Potiphar. Event C, Yosef interprets two dreams, uh, the dreams of the Sarah Mashka and the Sarah Ofeh. And then at this point, things begin to reverse themselves. Again, event C, Yosef uh, interprets two dreams, this time of Paro. Again, event B, he becomes Al Habayat Shalmishu, he becomes the second in command of Paro, the Adon Beto of Paro. And then finally, again, event A, at the end of Parshat Vayichi, uh, at the beginning of Pasha Vayechi, Yosef is 17 years with his father, this time in Egypt. So it goes A, B, C, C, B, A. Now this chiastic structure uh, can be elaborated upon, and perhaps there are not three levels, but many, many more. But uh, the point of this is that it places the turning point of the Yosef story in between the two C's, in between the interpretation of the two sets of two dreams. In that time when Yosef is still in jail, after he's interpreted the dream of the Sarah Ofer and the Sarah Mashke, before he's yet been fished out to interpret the dreams of Paro, something key happens there. There's a key turning point in Yosef's life that occurs at that point. Now, this is not just true structurally, but it's also true thematically. If we think about the flow of the story um, at the beginning, Yosef descends, Yosef goes down. Things do not go well for Yosef. He's sold by his brothers. Disaster strikes him in the house of Potiphar, and eventually he winds up in jail in the lowly depths of the pit of the Egyptian jail. But from that point on, things go up uh, for Yosef. Uh, things get better. Yosef is raised out of the pit. Yosef becomes second in command to power. And eventually Yosef reconciles with his brother and returns to his father. So the notion of a turning point in between the two sets of dream interpretations is not just true structurally, formally, but is also certainly true thematically as well. Now here we may add uh, another interesting point about turning points, something I learned from the Parshanot of Abar Benel, um, a striking and fascinating uh, literary parallel that Abar Benel uh, points out. And let us uh, map it out in the following fashion. Let us begin by picking it up in Perak Mem Aleph, Pasuk Yud Dalet. 
um, back uh, in the parak that we discussed last week, when uh, Paro is searching for a dream interpreter. And in parak Mem Aleph, Pasuk Yud Dalid, we are told as follows. After the uh, recommendation of the Sarah Mashke regarding the Na'ar Eved Ivri that can be found in jail who has the ability of dream interpretation, we're told as follows. Mem Aleph Yud Dalid. Ve'yishlach Paro, Paro sent, ve'yikrat Yosef, and they called to Yosef, ve'yiritsu min habor, and they took him out of the pit. Now it's interesting here that the Beit HaSar, uh, the prison mentioned previously in Perak Mem uh, as the p- Egyptian prison, is here referred to as a bor, a, a pit. Now quite possibly, physically, the uh, prison in Egypt might have been a pit. Um, but uh, on the literary level, this cannot help but send us back to the downfall of Yosef. And what I have in mind is Perak Lamed Zayin Pasek Kavdalad, and this is a point made by Rabbi Benel. Perak Lamed Zayin Pasek Kavdalad, in the story of Nechirat Yosef, we are told, Ve'yikachu, ve'yashlichu oto habora. Yosef was sent into the pit. Ve'aborek ein bomayim. In the story of Nechirat, in the story of descent, Yosef is thrown into the pit by his brothers. And here, at the beginnings of the story of the ascent, uh, Yosef is fished out of the pit. This is one connection uh, between Mechirat Yosef on the one hand and the summoning by Paro, the story of Parag Mem'alat Mebet, on the other hand. One parallel. Now, of course, there is another, or actually there are a few more. If we go back to Parag Mem'alat uh, for the moment, Parag Mem'alat, Pasuk Tet Zayin, tells us as follows, or going actually back to Tet Vav. Yosef, chalamti upoter einoto. I dreamed a dream. And there is no interpreter. And I have heard regarding you that you know dreams, you hear dreams in order to interpret them. Um, so, Paro says to Yosef, you have dream interpretation, the ability of dream interpretation. And clearly, Paro admires Yosef because his, of his ability at dreams, his dream abilities. And uh, again, later on, in Perek Mem Aleph, Pasuk Lamed Zayin, we're told as follows, after Yosef presents his interpretation of Paro's dreams. The matter was good in the eyes of Paro, in the eyes of all of his servants. So Paro says to Yosef, you are an ish chacham binavon, you have ruach elokim. Yosef is struck, uh, Paro is struck or smitten by Yosef's dream abilities, and Yosef is beloved because of his dream abilities in the story of Perak Mem Aleph, in the story of his appearance in front of Paro. Of course, this is exactly, as pointed out by Barbanel, this is exactly the opposite of Perak Lamed Zion. In Perak Lamed Zion, Pasuk Yosef is not admired because of his dream abilities. He's not loved because of his dream abilities. He is hated because of his dream abilities. Perak Lamed Zion, Pasuk says, Yosef Chalom, he dreamt a dream, he told his brothers, so they hate him because of his dreams and his connection to dreams. And of course, in Perak Lamed Zion, Pasuk Yudtet, when Yosef approaches his brothers in Shechem and they plot to kill him, what do they say? So that one man says to his brother, here is the Bala Chalamot, the dreamer. 
the owner of the dreams, the speaker of the dreams. Let's kill him. So Yosef is detested and murder is plotted against him because of his dream ability. So this is another connection between the two stories. In Perak Lam and Zion, Yosef is hated for his dream ability. In Perak Mem Aleph, in the story of the appearance in front of Paro, Yosef is admired and loved for his dream abilities. Now, a third connection uh, between the two stories. In Perak Lam and Zion, Pasek Kaf Gimel, when Yosef comes close, Yosef approached his brothers. They stripped him. They undressed him. And they stripped off his kutonet, his coat, his garment, the kutonet pasim, the special coat, the mark of distinction that his father had given him. As Ibn Ezra points out, kutonet pasim represents malchut. It represents kingship. They strip him of his Garments. They strip him of his royal garments, of his garments of distinction, and he's left naked without his big day malchut. This is what happens in the story of Mechirat Yosef in Perak Lamed Zion. Of course, in the story of Perak Mem Aleph, in the story of the appearance uh, in front of Paro in Perak Mem Aleph, Pasuk Mem Bet, what are we told? Vayasar Paro et Tabato. Paro removed his ring, me'al yadu from upon his hand. Vayitenu taliyad Yosef, he put it on the hand of Yosef. Vayalbesh oto big day Shesh. He dressed him in clothes of royal purple. Uh, no, Shesh, red. Uh, in royal clothing, bottom line. Um, and of course, this, um, this har- is a harbinger. Right? It foreshadows what happens later on, of course, in the story of Megillat Esther, where Mordechai is given the, the ring of the king, the signet ring of the king, and he's given royal garments, and he's given a chariot, and he's made into the second command of Achashverosh. This, of course, has already all happened before to Yosef, where he's given a ring, and he's given clothing, and he's given a chariot, and he's made into the second command. But the point is, Yosef is dressed in royal garments in the story of Perak Mamalov, in the story of the appearance of in front of Paro, as opposed to Perak Lamazain, where he was stripped of his garments of Malchut. So, to sum this up, or just to turn it around, and this is working off of our Benel, in Perak Lamazain, Yosef is detested for his dream abilities. In Parakmam Aleph, his appearance uh, in front of Paro in the story of Ascent, he is beloved and admired for his dream abilities. In Parakmam and Zion, the story of Mechirat Yosef, the story of Descent, Yosef is stripped of his garments that symbolize malchut and uniqueness. And in Parakmam Aleph, the story of Ascent, Yosef is dressed in the garments of malchut. And in Paraklam and Zion, the story of descent, Mechirat Yosef, Yosef is thrown into the bar, into the pit. And in Parakmam Aleph, the story of Ascent, um, Yosef is uh, re- re- raised out of the pit and Perkmem Aleph reverses Perk Lamadzayim is an obvious turning point here and this is a point that Abraham makes. Now, let's add to this. There's in fact a fourth parallel, one which is very, very important for our purposes. When the brothers throw Yosef into the pit after stripping of his garments, um, the Torah famously tells us in Perk Lamadzayim, Pasuk the, the bar was empty. There was no water. One could die um, of thirst in this bar. There was nothing there. It was empty. And then a little bit less famously, Pasuk Kafhei, the next Pasuk, The brothers sat down uh, to eat bread. So the brothers sit down to a meal next to the pit. They, of course, as we know from later on, they can hear the cries of Yosef, but they ignore his cries. Yosef is in a deep, dark place of death, without water, without bread, without the staff of life, and the brothers have bread, the brothers have sustenance, but they keep it for themselves, 
and they leave Yosef dying in the pit at this point without water and without bread. Now, interestingly enough, in the story not of descent of Mechirat Yosef, but in the story of ascent in Perak Mem Aleph, after Yosef is made into the Mishneh Lamelech of Paro, into the assistant of Paro, and placed in charge of all of Egypt, we find out that Yosef is in charge of something very, very specific. Perak Mem Aleph, Pasuk Nandalid, tells us as follows, Vatichilena Sheva Shnei Hara'av Lavo Kasha Ma Yosef. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Yosef had said, and there was a famine in all the land, but in Eretz Yisrael there was bread. So there's famine everywhere, all the Yisrael, not just Egypt, but also Canaan. The entire Near East apparently suffered from this massive famine. And everyone came, or the area around Mitzrayim suffered from this famine. Everyone came to Egypt. But Tirav Kol Eretz Mitzrayim, and all of Egypt became hungry, and the people turned to Paro for bread, for sustenance, for life. Everybody, the people of Mitzrayim, the people of the surrounding lands, are sent to Yosef for Lechem, because Yosef is in charge of Lechem, of life in Egypt, and his ascent is complete where before he had descended to the bar, which didn't have water, dry, didn't have bread, the place of death, didn't have sustenance, and his brothers had lechem, the reversal is now absolutely complete. Yosef does not just have lechem, he is in charge of the lechem of all of Egypt. And it's not just that his brothers don't have lechem, but they are in fact dependent upon Yosef for lechem, exactly the way previously Yosef and the pit had been dependent upon the brothers for lechem. So the reversal of the story of ascent here is complete. Now, I would like to argue that Yosef, as an interpreter of dreams, Yosef, as a reader, could not possibly have missed these signs of providence. Yosef remembers well and good what happened to him in his descent. He remembers well and good being hated for his dreams, being thrown in the pit, being stripped of his clothes, being deprived of food. And now, suddenly, what happens? He has been admired for his dreams. He has been taken out of the pit. He has been given clothes of Malchut. He has been made into a Melech, and he has been charged, put in charge of Lechem, of all of Mitzrayim, and all of the surrounding lands, Canaan as well, and he knows good and well through his dreams and through the clear and obvious hand of divine prep providence that quite soon his brothers will appear in front of him asking for lechem. Um, so I think on some level, Yosef must know this, and this idea of being in charge of lechem and some sort of connection with his brothers is clear and obvious to Yosef. Now, um, how did exactly Yosef interpret this? Now one possibility is that Yosef saw this as no more than simple divine justice. After all, Magilo, it comes to him. He deserves it. After all that he has suffered, and now finally his destiny, his fate, has been reversed. But I think that perhaps we might say that Yosef sees this a little bit differently, and I would like to point to uh, two particular points in the text which indicate that Yosef sees this perhaps, we might say, in a slightly more covenantal context. Because there are two psukim that I want to focus on now at this point. Shortly before the brothers appear in front of Yosef in Perak Menbet, um, we have the story of the birth of Yosef's two children. And Yosef names them. And often naming is a kind of place of insight, a kind of window into the consciousness of a particular figure in the Chumash. And I think it's important to take a look at the two names Yosef gives his two sons born in the land of Egypt. Uh, Perak Mem Aleph 
Pasuk Nun Aleph tells us as follows. Vayikra Yosef Hashem HaBuchar Min Hashem. Yosef called the name of his elder son Min Hashem. Kinashani Elokim Et Kol HaMaliv Et Kol Which literally means, as pointed out by the Parshanim, because God has made me forget my difficulties and everything that happened in my father's house. Normally we understand this as meaning Yosef. Yosef has finally been able to somehow forget all the difficulties he's been through now that things are working a little bit better. God has made me be fruitful or multiplied in the land of my oppression. Now this is a bit strange because it's maybe surprising that Yosef considers Mitzrayim the land of his oppression. After all, things have worked out quite well now for Yosef in uh, Mitzrayim. Um, or maybe not. Uh, previously he'd been oppressed, he'd been evident in Mitzrayim, and now he's uh, been multiplied in Eretz Ani, in the land of his affliction. Um, but in point of fact, I think the language of Hifrani and Ani is loaded or freighted language in the context of Sefer Prashit. And if we either go back or even go forward uh, to Shemot, um, we would find that this language has a very particular meaning. And what I have in mind is to go back for the moment to uh, Perak Tet Vav and Tet Zion, or Prakim Tet Vav and Tet Zion in Sefer Breshit, the stories of Brit Ben Habitarim and Brit Milah, respectively. Um, in Perak Tet Vav, uh, when God predicts the future of the covenantal destiny, and God talks about suffering in Mitzrayim, what God says is, um, Your children will be strangers in a foreign land, and they will be slaves, and they'll be afflicted. Avdut and Inui are markers of being part of the story of the covenant. Um, to suffer in a foreign land is to be a member of the covenant and part of the unfolding story of Brit Ben Habitarim. And in Perkut Zion, another promise of covenantal destiny. Um, God says to Abraham in Perak Yudzayin Pasukvav, I will multiply you. Hifreti. To flower or to multiply in the sense of pruruvu. This is another mark of the covenant. And the truth is, later on we see that being multiplied in ani, in affliction, is another sign of covenantal destiny. And I think when Yosef names his second son Ephraim, and says, Ki Ephraim elokim be'eretz ani, what Yosef is indicating, he says, now I know my covenantal destiny. I think it is at this point, perhaps, that Yosef realizes that he has ascended to where he has ascended to. He has become the second in command of Paro, he has become the Sar HaLechem, the minister of bread of Mitzrayim and of the surrounding lands for one purpose and one purpose only as part of the continuing unfolding story of the covenant because soon his brothers are going to have to are going to come and somehow he's going to have to reconcile with them and somehow he's going to have to protect them and somehow he's going to have to sustain them during the years of famine and Yosef views all of this hand of providence that's obvious in his rise from the pit in this reversal of the story in this turning point as a marker of what his true destiny is to be the second in command to Paro to be in charge of the bread of Mitzrayim to be able to provide Mechia he is an Av an Adon and a Moshel in Mitzrayim in order for the purposes of providing Mechia and to whom? to his family as part of the unfolding covenantal story and if this is correct when we come to Perak Memhe 
um, the story of Lo Yachol Yosef Litapeg and the Nu'um of Yosef um, that we here have been discussing, we have here a second and very, very different interpretation than what presented previously. When Yosef says, don't be afraid or don't be worried, Shalachani Elokim, God sent me. Kibimichiyashalachani, God sent me for sustenance. God, when Yosef says, God made me into an Av, an Adon, a Moshel, a ruler over all of Mitzrayim for the express purpose of this, these are ideas that Yosef has had with him for quite a while. They are an essential part of the read of his destiny, going all the way back to the story of his ascent from the pit back in Perak Mem Aleph when he first appeared in front of Paro. And I think we can argue that this is Yosef's understanding of his destiny with every fiber of his being from way, way back in Perak Mem Aleph, which is a very inter- different interpretation and understanding of um, Perak Mem Hay. Um, uh, Yosef's claim in his Naomi and his address to his brothers. I'd just like to end off. Um, I think there are many other proofs for this approach. I'd just like to uh, point out that if this is correct, um, we may have uncovered uh, an additional aspect of uh, the motivation of Yosef throughout the story of Yosef and his brothers when it extends from Parshat Vayeshev to Parshat Vayechi. One of the famous and well-known questions asked is, why does Yosef not contact home at some point or another, certainly after he is the Moshel in Mitzrayim. And there are different answers that are given. There's the answer of Ramban that he needs his dreams to come true. And there are other answers. Well, he thought Yaakov was perhaps part of the conspiracy against him. Or he thought that he was the one who was Nidche. He was pushed aside and he was cast out and he wasn't supposed to be part of the Kavitan anymore. Or there were those who claimed that if he would have contacted um, his family, he would have created a, a very troubling situation um, for his brothers. But I think we've uncovered another aspect or perhaps another answer. The reason why Yosef does not contact his family is because that he knows in his read of his destiny, in his understanding of the providential hand, he's exactly where he's supposed to be. He is the Mishnah Melech to Paro. He is the Moshel the Avadon in Mitzrayim. He is in charge of Lechem. And he is in the perfect position to provide sustenance for his family when they arrive. And he knows they are on the way. They'll be coming soon. In his place of destiny, he just waits for them. Waits for the right time to reconcile with them and waits for the right time to reveal himself to them after the story of the Naum, after the dress of uh, Yehuda, the beginning of Ayigash, the right time has arrived. In Parak Memhe, Yosef reveals himself and his understanding of his destiny until this point.